From your local Houston BMW Center studios, welcome to the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world, presented by 100 Black Men of Metropolitan Houston. I'm your host, KG Smooth, and this morning I am going to continue reading from the book, Meet Your Straw Man and Whatever You Want to Know. You can go back to listen to past episodes of me reading this book from the beginning if you want to get the whole book in context. Uh, But I am going to continue from where I left off from the last time that I read this book. So I'm reading it straight through. Uh, So forgive me for any slip ups or hesitations. Here we go. Postal demands. Each person generally gets a number of demands for amounts to be paid bills. If you get a demand for a payment, you will notice that it is not addressed to you, the human but to the fictional straw man, which has a name which sounds like your name, but is not the same. The name will be printed on the demands in all capital letters or, in rare cases, preceded by Mr., Mrs., or Miss. And any one of those names refer to the straw man who sounds like you and which has a creation date which matches what you have been told was your birthday. You can pay this demand if you want but it is entirely optional. Remember that it is not you who is being billed. Also worth remembering is that you, the human, are bound by common law and not legal statutes, and common law does not require you to pay any form of tax. The company invoicing the straw man is hoping that you don't catch on to the fact that it is not you who is being billed, and so make the payments as a mistake on your part. If you don't want to pay this unnecessary charge on behalf of the straw man, then you can mark the envelope, no contract, return to sender, and mail it back to the sender. Any subsequent letter can be treated in exactly the same way. As in all cases, as in all cases, do not have any telephone conversations about it as verbal communications bristle with legal ease verbal traps. At most, say what you wish to deal with and any such matters by mail and terminate the call. It does not matter if an employee turns up at your home and hands you a letter or puts it through your mailbox. The letter is not for you to even address to you. It is addressed to the straw man. So it can be mailed back the same as any other letter. Recently, Tony Rook in the UK took a different approach. He refused to pay for a TV license and went to court over it. There, he stated that he would not pay a TV license fee because the BBC, British Broadcasting Corporation, intentionally misrepresented facts about the 9-11 attacks. As is widely known, The BBC reported the collapse of the World Trade Center Building 7, the 47-story Solomon Brothers Building, which was never hit by an airplane, but which collapsed at freefall speed later that day, more than 20 minutes before the collapse occurred. Rook stated that the BBC had to have had provoked knowledge of the terror attack and so were complicit in the attack. He then showed a record of the BBC video news broadcasting along with considerable additional evidence. The judge agreed that Rook had some reasonable case to protest 
and he was found not guilty by the court and was not fined for failure to pay for the licensing fee. If it is still available, the BBC News report of the collapse showing the building standing behind the reporter is at www.tinyurl.com forward slash L-O-U-L-G-E-A. If you wish, you can take more forceful direct stance as demonstrated here by the letter issued by Christopher Lees when dealing with fixed penalty notice charge. Dear Sirs, please read the following notice thoroughly and carefully before responding. It is a notice. It informs you. It means what it says. The reason why you need to read it carefully is simple. I am offering conditional agreement. This removes controversy and means that you no longer have the ultimate recourse at a court of law in this matter because there is no controversy upon which it is adjudicated. You also have the option of dragging these conditions into a court of law only to be told that they are indeed lawful. This is, of course, always your prerogative should you decide to waste your time. For this reason, it is important that you consider and respond to the offer in substance. The nearest official form was not sufficed and consequently is likely to be ignored by myself without any dishonor on my part. On the other hand, there is a time limit on the agreement being offered. It is reasonable, and if it runs out, then you and all the associates' parties, excuse me, if it is reasonable, it is reasonable, and if it runs out, then you and all associated parties are in default, removing any and all lawful excuses on your part for proceeding in this matter. For these reasons, it is recommended that you carefully consider the notice and respond in substance, which means actually addressing the points raised herein. You have apparently made allegations of criminal conduct against me. You have apparently made demands upon me. I do not understand those apparent demands and therefore cannot lawfully fulfill them. I seek clarification of your document so that I may act accordingly to the law and maintain my entire body of inalienable national rights. Failure to accept this offer to clarify and to do so completely in good faith within seven days will be deemed by all parties to mean that you and your principal or other parties abandon all demands upon me. I conditionally accept your offer to agree that I am a legal fiction person, Mr. Christopher Mark Lees, and that I owe 70 pounds for service rendering by your company upon proof of claiming of all of the following. One, upon proof of claim that I am a person and not a human being. Two, upon proof of claim that you know what a person actually is in legal terms. Three, upon proof of claim that you know the difference between a human being and a person, legally speaking. Four, upon proof of claim that you know the difference between the term legal 
and lawful. 5. Upon proof of claim that I am legal fiction person, Mr. Christopher Mark Lees, being the entity to which your paperwork has addressed and not Christopher of the Lees family as commonly called. Upon proof of claim, 6. Upon proof of claim that the charge was the result of lawful investigation unmarred by prejudice. 7. Upon proof of claim that I am a member of society whose statutes and subsiding regulations you are enforcing. 8. Upon proof of claim that I show you some sort of identification. 9. Upon proof of claim that there is a nameable society that I belong to and that the laws covered within any alleged transgressions state that they apply to me within that name society. Sincerely and without ill will, vexation, or frivolity, or frivolity by Agent Christopher of the Lee's family, without prejudice, i.e., all natural and alienable rights reserved. Please, please address all future correspondence in the matter to the direct human self, namely Christopher, of the Lee's family, as commonly called. Original paperwork as received. Consent. All men are born equal, and so nobody has the right to demand you, make demands of you, or force you to do anything the most that anyone can do is make you an offer to perform. Even though they may seem that it is an order or a demand or a summons, it is in reality an offer which you are free to accept yours, not as, not as you so choose. This is why they keep using applications, registrations, and submissions as those things give them power over you through your unwitting consent. They are hoping that you will break the law by the way that you deal with their offer. If you just ignore the offer, they are stepping into what is called dishonor. The only effective way of dealing with the offer is conditional acceptance, as already mentioned. If you accept their offer, without imposing any conditions, then you are accepting that they have power to order you around and that places you under their authority because you have just chosen to accept their offer, even though you may not understand that you have been accepting their offer for them to have authority over you. They also want to get you arguing with them since that also places you in dishonor. And if there is a court case involved, the judge just looks to see who is in dishonor. Remember, in civil cases, the court is a commercial operation where the judge doesn't care who is right or wrong, who is right or wrong, just who will pay the court. So, we accept all offers, but our conditions attached to each offer, and that presents them taking us to court. Remember. Courts only deal with deputies. Remember, courts only deals with disputes. And if you conditionally accept 
each offer. There won't be any dispute. So there can't be any court involvement. Some offers are notices and a notice has to be clear, unequivocal and concise. You can discharge a notice by seeking clarification that is writing back. That is by writing back, asking the meaning of a word, stating that you don't understand a word, meaning that you don't understand the word. They are hoping that you would just ignore the notice and so go into dishonor and become liable. A parking ticket is a notice. And please be aware that a parking ticket is not a bill. But instead, it is a notice telling you that there is something to which you should pay attention. So you write back saying that you have noticed their notice. And as they appear to think that you owe them money, you are happy to pay. But first, you need some verification before payment is made. First, there is a need to verify the debt. So please send me a bill with a human signature on it. Also, I need to see the lawful two-party contract supporting that bill as they can supply as they can't supply either of those things it kills the claim stone dead so they keep insisting that their supply so they keep insisting that they either supply those things or either stop bothering you an interesting alternative is that if they send a final notice, mark remittance, then that piece of paper actually has the value of money written on it. The really silly thing about that, you have the option to write accepted for value on that piece of paper. Sign it with your name and the date, mail it back to them, and technically that concludes the matter by paying the amount demanded. Who was it that said, it's a mad, 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 mad world. Actually, the payment comes out of the vast amount of money which your straw man has accumulated over the years and you're signing the document as accepted for value authorizes them to take the payment of your straw man, excuse me, that authorizes them to take the payment from your straw man account and that suits them as well as yourself. Writing accepted for value means you are authorizing them to take the money they specify out of the straw man account, which has a large amount in it that the balance will hardly be affected at all. I just want to share right here that I did that. I got a parking ticket from the city of Houston and I followed uh, what I just read and they replied back with the same thing. And I just followed what was in this book and the ticket was, they just left me alone. All right, to the next part. Society. We come now to the very difficult subject of American society. I certainly don't know all the answers in this area. A society is a group of people who willingly join together and abide by a set of rules decided by members of that society. Loosely speaking, the system, which has been set up by commercial companies who have control of the United States, is a society. It is a society which has good fortunes and it is a society which has good features and bad features as well. Common sense says that 
there is an average, excuse me, common sense says that there is an advantage for any large number of people to organize themselves together and have skilled specialists provide paid services for the other members of that society. For example, having a commercial collection to enable roads, water supplies, sewage, and the like certainly makes sense. A national health service also looks like a good idea and does having social welfare benefits for those who are unfortunate enough to become ill or who are unable to find work. However, such things have been subverted by those in charge and maneuvered into a state where these things serve their ends rather than the needs of the general population. While a countrywide medical service sounds like a good thing, it has been reported that the price of some of these medical supplies, it has been reported that the price of some of the medicines supplied to the national health services now cost literally 10 times what they did two years ago. This looks very much as if the people in control of that service are using it to make massive profits on pharmaceuticals and probably many other services such as parking fees where millions per year are made from people who have no option but to park in the hospital grounds. So, what looks like a sensible agreement appears to have been converted to something different. Perhaps this is an unduly cynical view, but it is certainly in line with many of the other scams which are being run. Income tax was introduced as a temporary measure in connection with a war and who organizes wars. And who organizes wars? It has never been removed, and yet the country did not seem to have any major problems when there was no income tax. The employees of the commercial company, which runs the company, which runs the country, those people who take the title of members of Congress or some similar meaningless title, spend a lot of time thinking up new legislation, which, if it can be introduced without too many people noticing it, will become a statute. I suggest that the main intention of all legislation is to provide a smokescreen to hide additional charges which members of the public are required to pay. An argument can be that you elected those politicians, so you must abide by whatever they have dictated. This carefully avoids mentioning the fact that those politicians have nothing to do with the public other than give the appearance that the public has some say in what happens, while the reality is that everything that happens is dictated by the non-elected owners of the companies in charge. The payment of the benefits to those in need looks like a very good and necessary thing, but the people in charge see it as an admission that the adult is not capable of taking care of himself, and so they literally think of these ordinary people as cattle, in their words, not mine. What they ignore is the fact that there are many, many direct and indirect taxes and charges along with the low-level pay which they reckon the people be which they reckon that people can be made for work, excuse me, which they reckon that people can be made to work for are the things which have 
many ordinary, hardworking people in the very poor financial positions which they despise. They are willing to cheat, steal, and lie while the ordinary person is not comfortable doing those things. So, what should be a good, helpful system? So, what should be a good, helpful system has been changed into an oppressive thing which is used to force people into dependency. I'm going to put a pin in it right there, and we will return with me reading more of Meet Your Straw Man and Whatever You Want to Know. You're listening to the Public Affairs Podcast, presented by 100 Black Men of Metropolitan Houston. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world. Presented by 100 Black Men of Metropolitan Houston, I'm your host, KG Smooth, continuing reading from the book, Meet Your Straw Man and Whatever You Want to Know. I am in the section where it talks about society. So picking up where we left off before we went to break. While a certain level of public contribution for what you are thought as of being essential services is understandable and a desirable thing, that the system has been twisted into mechanisms to enslave and defraud ordinary people. It has long since reached a ridiculous level with the average person being expected to pay income tax, council tax, inheritance tax, national insurance, capital gains tax, sales tax on houses purchased, value-added tax, parking charges, airport charges, fuel tax, road tax, import duty tax on alcohol, tax on tobacco, payment for a driver's license, passport, the list goes on and on and on with additional items are added all the time. People who have been caught for many years in this system will have already paid in so much that they will not want to leave the system and lose the benefits for which they have been paying so long. Others may well consider starting to refuse to pay some of the things demanded of the straw man. This is a personal choice and one which should be thought about carefully before any action is taken. Please note that this document does not provide you with the legal advice, but instead presents facts for the information purposes only. If you want legal advice, then consult a lawyer. The Armed Services The commercial company, which has chosen the name The United States Incorporated, has a large number of people employed in what is called the United States Armed Services. Most countries have a similar agreement. If you were to ask, what is the purpose of these armed and trained people? How do you reply? It may surprise you to know that the people who employ them hire them to protect themselves, the employer, from their enemies. Not too startling an idea, you say. Yes, as you say, not too startling a revelation, but what may surprise you to discover is that the enemy is quite openly stated to be you. So do, so do, 
So not only do they describe you as a monster, but also as their enemy. Because they are so heavily outnumbered, they are actually frightened of you and feel that they need armed bodyguards and heavily locked doors to keep them safe from the anger of ordinary people. If they ever find out how they are being manipulated and robbed, in passing, they consider anybody in passing, they consider anybody who asks permission to do something which they are already entitled to do under common law to be a child of the state, and so of no consequence. Let's check out a possible scenario. You take some young people to a McDonald's restaurant and order several meals. When the food has been prepared, the manager says, I will make a deal with you. You can have your meals for free if you just take this loaded revolver and go over to that counter table and shoot that man dead. There will be no comeback as I am authorizing you to do it. Having blinked a few times, you ask, why should you shoot him dead when he has never done anything to you? The manager says, he has done, he has never done anything to me neither, but he has a lot of money in his wallet and I want to steal it. So just go and shoot him dead. It's okay because I'm telling you to do it for me. Sounds a bit mad? Well, it should do so as murder is a criminal offense under common law and somebody telling you to do it, and that is okay because they say so, is quite ridiculous. Nobody has the authority to tell you to murder somebody. Remember, all of us were born with the exact same privileges and rights, and nobody has authority over anyone else, and most definitely not to be able to authorize murder. The owners of the commercial company, which amusingly we think of as the government, stand in the same position as the manager of McDonald's and have the same lack of authority to breach common law by sending their armed employees into another country to kill the people there, people who have done them no harm whom they want to rob. All recessions and wars are deliberately instigated by the people who gain financially from them. Do you ever wonder why vast sums of public money are spent every year on arms? Who owns the companies that makes the profit from selling these arms? Who gets the profits from rebuilding the places damaged or destroyed by your very own army? Who makes a profit from lending vast sums of imaginary money to a country which has been devastated by their unprovoked actions, creating an imaginary debt which can never be repaid. Since World War II, more than 4 million people have died as a result of commercial companies interfering in other companies, and every one of those deaths was a criminal offense under common law. These companies believe that they and their employees are above the law and so that they do whatever they want. From time to time, these companies demand that people be conscribed to their armed forces without their consent. Do you even remember being asked if you would consent to such 
press gang options, operations? If you were asked, did you say yes? And if you did, does it make it lawful to force the people who say no? Do you ever get the impression that things are done with breach, both your personal rights and the demands of common law? Not only does invading other countries and murdering the people there destroy them, but it also has a major negative impact on the people who join the armed forces, not being aware that their commercial employers are the real terrorists of this world. Do you feel that this is a little far-fetched? Well, it was reported on national TV news on the 6th of September 2010 that ex-Army Chief General Richard Dannett claimed that vested interest rather than national security decided military spending on wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. All major wars are carried out of commercial reasons, although that fact will never be admitted publicly. Michael Rivero was put together. Michael Rivero has put together a concise statement on the situation in America, which impacts upon the whole world. His statement is at this website location, tinyurl.com forward slash B4AH7TT. Here it says, I know many people have a great deal of difficulty with understanding just how many wars are started for no other purpose than to force private central banks onto nations. So let me share a few examples in order that you can understand why the U.S. government is engaged in so many wars against so many foreign nations. There is an ample precedent for this. The United States fought the war of the American Revolution primarily over the Currency Act of King George III, which forced the colonists to conduct their business only with printed banknotes borrowed from the Bank of England at entrance. After the revolution, the United States adopted a radically different economic system in which the government issued its own value-based money so that private banks, like the Bank of England, were not what is this word? Were not Siphoning, symphoning of the wealth of the people through interest-bearing banknotes. The refusal of King George III to allow the colonies to operate an honest money system which freed the ordinary man from the clutches of the money manipulators was probably the prime cause of the revolution. Benjamin Franklin, founding father. But bankers... Are not, but bankers are nothing if not dedicated to their schemes to acquire your wealth, and they know how easy it is to corrupt the leaders of a nation. Just one year after Mayor Ashmole Rothschild had uttered his infamous statement, let me issue and control a nation's money, and I care not who makes the laws. The banker succeeded in setting up a new private central bank 
called the First Bank of the United States, largely through the efforts of the Rothschild's chief U.S. supporter, Alexander Hamilton. Founded in 1791, at the end of its 20-year charter, the First Bank of the United States had almost ruined the nation's economy while enriching the bankers. Congress refused to renew the charter signaling their intention to go back to the state-issued valued-based currency on which people paid no interest at all to any banker. This resulted in a threat from Nathan Meyer Rothschild against the United States. Quote, Either the application for renewal of the charter is granted or the United States will find itself involved in the most disastrous war, end quote. Congress still refused the renewal, the charter of the First Bank of the United States, whereupon Nathan Meyer Rothschild railed, quote, teach those imputed Americans a lesson, bring them back to colonial status, end quote. Financed by the Rothschild-controlled Bank of England, British then launched the War of 1812 to recolonize the United States and force it back into slavery to the Bank of England, or to plunge it into so much debt that the people would be forced to accept a new private central bank. The plan worked. Even though the War of 1812 appeared to be won by the United States, Congress was forced to grant a new charter for yet another private bank issuing the public currency as loans at interest and that the second bank of the United States and that was the second bank of the United States. Once again, private bankers were in control of the nation's money supply and cared not who made the laws or how many British and American soldiers had to die for it. Once again, the nation was plunged into debt, unemployment, and poverty through the plundering of the private central bank, and in 1832, Andrew Jackson successfully campaigned for his second term as president under the slogan, Jackson and No Bank. True to his word, Jackson succeeded in blocking the renewal of the charter for the second bank of the United States. Quote, Gentlemen, I too have been a close observer of the doings of the Bank of the United States. I have had men watching you for a long time, and I am convinced that you have used the funds of the bank to speculate in the breadstuffs of the country. When you won, you divided the profits amongst yourselves, and when you lost, you charged it to the bank. You tell me that if I take the deposits from the bank and annul its charter, I shall ruin 10,000 families. That may be true, gentlemen, but that is your sin. If I let you go on, you will ruin 50,000 families, and that would be my sin. You are a den of vipers and thieves. I have determined to root you out, and by the eternal God, bringing his fist down on the table, I will root you out, end quote. Andrew Jackson, shortly before ending the charter of the Second Bank of the United States from the original minutes of 
the Philadelphia Committee of Citizens sent to the President Jackson in February of 1834, according to Andrew Jackson and the Bank of the United States, 1928, by Stan V. Henkel. Shortly after President Jackson, the only American president to actually pay off the natural debt, the national debt, ended the Second Bank of the United States. There was an attempt and there was an attempted assassination which failed when both pistols used by the assassin, Richard Lawrence, failed to fire. Lawrence later said that, quote, with Jackson dead, money would be more plentiful, end quote. Of course, the present-day American public school system is in subservient to the bankers' wishes to keep certain items of history from you, just as corporate media is a subservient to Monsanto's wishes to keep the dangers of genetically modified foodstuffs from you and the global warning cult's wishes to conceal from you the fact that the earth has actually been cooling for the last 16 years. Thus, this should come as little surprise that much of the real reasons of the events of the Civil War are not well known to the average American. When the Confederacy constitutionally succeeded from the United States, the bankers once again saw the opportunity for a rich harvest of debt and offered to fund Lincoln's efforts to bring the South back into the Union by force, but at 30% interest. Lincoln remarked that he would not free the black man by enslaving the white man to the bankers. So using his authority as president, he issued a new government currency, the greenback. This was a direct threat to the wealth and power of the central bankers of the United States, who responded quickly, quote, If these mischievous financial policies, which has its origin in North America, become entrenched, then that government will issue its own money without cost. It will pay off debts and be without debt. It will have all the money necessary to carry on its commerce. It will become prosperous to a degree which is without precedent in the history of the world. The brains and wealth of all countries will migrate to North America. That country must be destroyed or it will destroy every monarchy on the globe, end quote. The London Times responding to Lincoln's decision to issue government greenbacks to finance the Civil War rather than agree to private bankers' loans at 30% interest. In 1872, New York bankers sent a letter to every bank in the United States urging them to fund any newspaper which opposed government-issued money, Lincoln's greenback. Quote, Dear Sir, it is advisable to do all in your power to sustain such prominent daily weekly newspapers as will oppose to issuing of greenback paper money and that you also withhold patronage or favors from all applicant all applicants who are not willing to oppose the government issue of money let the government issue the coin 
and the banks issue the paper money of the country. To restore the curriculum, to restore the circulation, the government issue of money will be provided, excuse me, to restore the circulation, the government issue of money will be to provide the people with money and will therefore seriously affect our individual profit as bankers and lenders. <laughs> Trumpet, Trumpet, Plutocracy. Am I saying that right? Plutocracy. Trumpet Plutocracy: The Story of the American Public Life from 1870 to 1920 by Lynn Wheeler. Quote: It will not do to allow the greenback. It will not do to allow the greenback, as it is called, to circulate as money any length of time, as we cannot control that. End quote. Quote, slavery is likely to be abolished by the war, power and chattel slavery destroyed. This I and my European friends are in favor of for slavery is but the owning of labor and carries it. Excuse me. This I and my European friends are in favor of for slavery, but the owning of labor and carries with it the care of the laborer while the European plan led by England is for capital to control labor by controlling the wages. This can be done by controlling money, end quote. And I'm going to leave it right there as the time has ended for this segment of the Public Affairs Podcast. Again, the book is called Meet Your Straw Man and Whatever You Want to Know. It is available on Amazon for just five bucks. If you would like to go back to listen to the other parts of the book that I have previously read, just uh, search the Public Affairs Podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. And uh, please forgive me for my slip-ups and mess-ups while reading this book. It is early in the morning. I guess my brain isn't all the way awakened. But I appreciate you listening to the Public Affairs Podcast presented by 100 Black Men of Metropolitan Houston. And we will see you next week. <laughs>